Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Yep, across the world on the internet at MichaelDukeshow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hello and good morning to you. It is the Michael Duke Show and we are jumping into it uh, here. Hour one on this Monday, fun day, Monday, as we like to call it around here. Uh, not really. I mean, we don't really call that. Nobody really calls it that. But, you know, we're trying to be we're trying to be good about this stuff. Welcome back to the program. And thanks for coming in and joining us Monday. Of course, I hope you had a great uh, <clears throat> restive, restorative uh, weekend and you are all ready to talk about all the good stuff that uh, is fit to print here. Uh, on the Michael Duke show. We've got more coming up, uh, including this morning, uh, in the second hour of the program, we're going to be jumping in with, uh, Rob Myers, who is, uh, joining us to talk about the fiscal state of, well, I guess the state of the fiscal future or maybe the future fiscal of the state or the, He's going to talk with us about money in the future. That's what he's going to be talking with us about uh, here in the and probably the state of the PFD, the fate and state of the PFD in the future as well. Rob Myers will be joining us uh, in uh, hour two of the big radio broadcast this morning, and uh, we're going to get down. We're going to get down into the weeds with him on this, and uh, we should be looking at uh, we should be looking at some interesting discussions with Rob uh, about that. Uh, here uh, in uh, in the second hour uh, this morning, uh, and we'll 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 go over that in hour one. We're going to be covering a lot of uh, what's happening around the state. Some interesting things came out, including uh, the final decision here, I guess, on the bus driver strike in um, uh, in the Matsu, which has finally come to a close. Uh, it looks like they. Uh, Looks like they finally got everything. That uh, looks like they finally got everything squared away there, and they are going to be taking kids back to school today. That's the that's the plan. The plan is that today is the day that they take all those kids back to school, and uh, and they're going to get back get back to work on it. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, we're also going to be talking about the closure, uh, emergency closures. Uh, for fish, uh, specifically for king salmon around the Cook Inlet. And what does that mean for, well, what does it mean for for uh, sports fishermen, for citizens, and, of course, for all the businesses who depend on that down uh, in the various areas that are affected by the closure, including much of the, uh, much of the peninsula. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see... 
We'll see what goes on with that here this morning as we uh, kick things off and, and get things ready to rock and roll. Um, <clears throat> of course, the big uh, the big news uh, the big news on the whole day here is that we're looking forward to seeing what happens with the uh, uh, we're looking forward to seeing what happens uh, with the Willow Project, which is supposed to be um, um, which is supposed to be. Uh, hearing a decision this week. Now, whether we actually do or not is going to be a, another question, whether we actually see that decision this week. And of course, there's been a big push on TikTok to, uh, to, I mean, this is the place, this is the place apparently where policy is made, um, uh, is on, uh, is on TikTok. <laughs> that's where, that's where new policy is made. Um, for all of America right now, apparently, but that's that's the big push right now is uh, is to get those. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the that's the point. That's the choice. So we're going to be uh, we'll see what the latest is on that as well. And uh, I guess that's it here for today's show. Uh, we were working on Calvin Schreggy, uh, and that was my fault for uh, uh, he apparently emailed me earlier. Last week, before he attempted to call in, and I, I don't know, I missed the email somehow. It got into my spam, or all of a sudden, I was doing a search this morning, and I found it. Uh, so that was my fault for uh, not getting that in. We're seeing if we can get Calvin Schreggy, Representative Calvin Schreggy, on the program um, and uh, on Wednesday. Um, and uh, we'll see. We'll see what uh, we'll see what <clears throat> what that brings on Wednesday here this morning. So, what else have we got here um, that we needed to get? The Iditarod started. The uh, another roof collapsed in Anchorage. Uh, in fact, two more roofs collapsed in Anchorage over the weekend. Two different businesses had their uh, had their roofs cave in. And what's weird about this? Uh, I don't know if you took a look at any of the pictures or photos that they had there, but what was weird about it is that they. Uh, Neither one of these roofs appeared to have a tremendous amount of snow on them, um, but uh, there you go. Um, It—I uh, don't know what's going on, but it's it, just one of those weird things. Maybe it's the ice buildup. Maybe it's whatever. The one that collapsed on Saturday um, only looked like it had about three or four inches of snow on the roof, but it collapsed a big chunk of the building. Kind of a kind of a crazy thing. Um, but that's happening all over. I guarantee you that there are people all over Anchorage this morning who are scrambling to go up and look at their roofs and see what needs to be scraped off and if it's all ice or all snow or whatever it is. So uh, anyway, we can uh, we can chat about that as well this morning as we get ready to get things uh, going on in uh, in the in the big uh, in the big news headline cycle. Well, let's start off with the. Um, <laughs> let's everybody in the chat room is like TikTok. what's that isn't it i don't what are the what the <laughs> yeah it's gonna be it's gonna be the, oh and there's a big hearing in person at the wood center in fairbanks tomorrow from 2 p.m to 8 p.m on the p.m 2.5 and wood smoke issue oh gosh oh gosh that's a, I mean, I, I got to be honest, that's a fight that I'm glad that I'm not having to personally have anymore because that was just, it was so exhausting, the whole thing. Um, 
Um, that, that whole thing is just, uh, is just crazy. Um, the whole idea that somehow we've got a problem with our, with our air quality, but people are freezing to death <laughs> because they can't heat their homes. That's a, it's a shocking, it's a shocking ideal, but there you go. All right. Um, let's talk a little bit about the school bus drivers and what came down. Uh, it has finally ended. The strike has ended after a full month. Um, Teamsters 959 local voted to ratify the agreement with Durham, which is the school bus company, on Sunday. Uh, interestingly enough, um, the school district and the and the union had come to this tentative agreement on Thursday, but they waited until. They waited until Sunday to actually vote on the uh, three-year proposal. Um, wondering why they had to wait. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just wondering why. Why did they have to wait? Uh, in a press release posted to their website on Sunday, Teamsters Local 959 said they ratified a three-year contract with Durham School Services. Uh, the contract includes strong job protections, overall economic improvements and tools to address safety issues at the workplace, according to the press release. School bus workers are eager to get back to work. Durham will resume their regularly scheduled routes starting this morning, Monday morning, March 6th. Um, bus drivers walked off the job, you'll remember, on the morning of January 31st after dropping all the kids off at school and then and and then not saying, we're not coming back to pick them up, sorry. Safety was at the heart of the issue with the drivers with Durham, the employees calling out the bus yard for still lacking electricity, broken bus heaters, public address systems that were not installed, and required monthly safety meetings that did not occur in December and January uh, as just a few of the items that they were working on. Um, they, uh, <clears throat> the district uh has been uh, struggling in the background over all this stuff and of course the ones that really got hit by this were um the ones that really got hit by this were the uh, the the parents of the students who had to deal with all this and take their kids to school and do all that kind of stuff as well um well we'll we'll see we'll see what it looks like here when it's all said and done but apparently this morning thumbs up uh, you get it all. Although why they had the thing, and I noticed that the uh, uh, the news media, uh, well, I guess I should say the ADN didn't have um, didn't have the the little tidbit. First of all, ADN wasn't said it wasn't sure when the bus service would resume. KTUU says uh, it was going to resume today, and KTUU is the only one that announced or mentioned the fact that the the union that represented the bus drivers on Thursday had arrived on that tentative agreement with the company, but waited until Sunday to vote on the three year proposal. Why wait? Why wouldn't you vote on the Thursday or the Friday or the Saturday to give everybody at least a little heads up and a little notice that this was coming? I mean, why would you do that? No idea. No. Nothing to see here. Move along. Nothing to just move along. It's fine. You'll never, never notice it. Never notice it. That's what's going on there. Um, anyway, so good news for the Matsu. 
the parents don't have to scramble around to try and figure out how to get the kids to school and everything else. It's one thing if you knew that that's that was what you were going to have to do this school season. It's one thing to be able to plan for it. It's a complete and total different thing to have to uh, to have to wait for uh, uh, for the school district or for somebody to make a decision and come back to you on it. That's a hundred percent different. A hundred percent different. Um, all right. The other big one, which I just saw this morning, I don't know. I apparently was living under a rock, um, over the weekend. I didn't, uh, I didn't do much, uh, with my, uh, with my telephone over the weekend, but apparently, uh, the fish and game has announced a huge number of closures, 11 emergency closures and restrictions for King Salmon cook, uh, King Salmon uh, sports fishing in the. Uh, in the Cook Inlet, and uh, it's uh, problematic to say the least. This is going to have huge ramifications uh, for this season's uh, fishing, and for uh, potentially for businesses, the tourism industry, and your own your very your very own freezer. It's going to have some tough. Uh, it's going to have some tough implications there, and so we're going to talk about that here in just a moment as well. Whew, baby. All right. Uh, we made it through the first segment on this Monday. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll be back with more in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. We return right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Hi. How are you? How are you? uh, How are you guys doing today? Yeah, I don't know. I worked on it for, uh, oh, I guess almost two hours on Friday after we had such a, after we had such a huge problem on Friday with the, uh, with the internet and, uh, it was working perfectly, it worked perfectly all weekend. I used a computer several times for several hours uh, on the weekend and everything was fine. And the second that I fired it up this morning, it dropped out twice, just like boom, boom, like once right after the other. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. But apparently it's all good right now. It's all good right now. Um, okay. Uh, did I dump Calvin the communist? No, that was my, uh, that was my problem. Um, he tried to call in that one morning and I asked him to send me an email, not realizing that he had already sent me an email like the day before or two days before. And, um, 
anyway, it, um, anyway, it was a, it was a hot mess. Uh, so I apologize. I've invited him to come on specifically, come on Wednesday morning. So we'll see what happens there. Um, sorry, I'm going backwards here to see what you guys have been talking about. Uh, freezing on Facebook and YouTube, but we should be good now, right? We're all, we're all good now. Okay. No, my Starlink hasn't gone out because my Starlink is still sitting in a box downstairs. I've got to get that on. You're not on the radio. It's a solid squeal. Sandy, are you, uh, Sandy, Sandy K. Taylor, are you up in Fairbanks? I had a problem. I wasn't connected to the Fairbanks station. <laughs> I'm not feeling too good this morning, guys. I'm sorry. My brain is not all here. I'm trying to juggle a bunch of stuff, so I apologize. Um, isn't TikTok owned by China? It's owned by a Chinese company that's probably owned by the Chinese government, so I guess, yes, TikTok, I guess, is owned by China. Um... Uh, EPA is considering dropping the standard again. If they do so, it'll probably catch the Matsu. Yeah. Um, uh, somebody needs to, uh, I forgot. Good morning, everyone. Um, wasn't Burham, where was the Matsu school district? Were they monitoring the contract or no, says David. I don't know. That was a big, uh, um, that was a big question um, for many people was where is the school district in all this? I mean, is Durham fulfilling their contract or not? Apparently Durham was having to pay some big time fees, some big time fines for not providing the bus service on top of all the other things. Um, uh, I think the new bus driver contract and the, for the ASD employee bus drivers was the spark that ignited the strike in, in uh, Matsu. Maybe. Uh, that, that could be for sure. Um, uh, the canoe for Babdia. Um, so you dump the communist. That's good. He's a government. Uh, is the answer man anyway. Well, I mean, you know, it, we know sometimes that we're, we know that we're not ag- going to agree with every guest. That's what's going on. Sounds like someone had a case of the Mondays, said Chris. I had a case of the Mondays on Friday, Chris. I don't need another one, you know. Um, the national gets going to be $40 trillion. Yeah, that's that's great. I like how everyone is bagging on TikTok. China is spying on us with this app. Ban it. Immediately goes back to Facebook and Twitter where we're spied on locally, domestically, where the domestic spying is going on. Yeah, I think that's that pretty much sums it up, doesn't it, Anthony? That pretty much that pretty much sums up the whole thing. All right, well, we're going to jump back into it. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free thinking radio. Like it, share, like it, share. Here we go.
Okay. So, uh, welcome back to the program. Thanks for coming in. It is the Monday edition, the fun day edition of the Michael Duke Show. Um, we got a lot of, uh, we got a lot of things that we can talk about, but I want to get down into this discussion about what's happening, um, with the, uh, emergency closures for King Salmon. And, uh, I'm sure there'll be some for other fishes as well. What does that mean for the state of Alaska? What does it mean for, you know, residents and for tourists and for, the commercial, uh, the commercial side of the equation as well. Um, the ADN reports that the state has shutting down most of the summer king salmon forts, uh, sport fishing around the Cook Inlet amid continued declines in the strong, hard-running fish that not long ago filled freezers and fueled tourism in the state's most populated region. The ADFG on Thursday announced an unprecedented array of restrictions and closures on sport and personal use fishing from the Kenai Peninsula to the Matsu in a sweeping series of emergency regulations that illustrates just how bad the king salmon population crashes and the broader salmon crisis is playing out across the state. It uh, is the most restrictive preseason orders yet after 15 years of decreasing uh, salmon populations across the state. They said these decisions are not being made lightly. The emergency regulations go into effect in May and extend through the end of July. The list of closures include early and late king runs on the Kenai River, as well as uh, other areas, including uh, uh, Anchor River, Deep Creek, and the Deshka and Susitna Rivers as well. One of the Kenai River closures triggered a shutdown of the commercial set net fleet that targets sockeye salmon on the east side of the in- inlet, according to state biologists. It also closes a commercial drift gillnet fishery off of Kenai. There are a few areas that are still open to catch kings, including Anchorage's popular urban fishery at Sheep, uh, Sheep Creek and the Eklutna trail, uh, tail race off the Old Glen Highway in the Matsu. Troll fishing out of Homer, limited to one fish rather than two, and hatchery-raised kings in the Homer Fishing Hole and the Nanilchik and Kasilov Rivers, though no wild kings can be kept. Catch-and-release fishing will be allowed on the Little Sioux. Um, the uh, this is this is a this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Cook Inlet kings are returning in lower numbers and smaller than before. An ongoing problem that state biologists largely attribute to ocean conditions, which is a broader category that can involve climate change leading to warmer water as well as salmon scooped up by trawl nets and competition with other fish, including hatchery-raised ones instead of the wild ones. Um, The emergency closures, said veteran Andy guide Andy Couch, were exactly a shock. He said he found few salmon of any kind in the Matsu last season. Couch took out a few clients and then some friends on the Kanik River near the, near the tail race. All told, before the king season closed in mid-July, he said uh, he saw two fish caught. One was a silver. This week's restrictions is going to place a heavy burden on the Cook Inlet sport fishery um, and, and fishing industry as well as some of the commercial fleet. Uh, so this is a... 
this is a big deal. This is a big deal, especially to areas and to people who I know, who I've talked to over the years that are dependent on, uh, who are dependent on this kind of stuff uh, for their livelihood and, of course, for other folks to go ahead and fill their freezers. This is a... Ah, this is a, this is a tough time. This is going to be an interesting, um, it's going to be an interesting, uh, time to see what happened. Now they had restrictions, uh, last year, um, and they were similar, although not as onerous. Uh, but since they did not hit the escapement goals, uh, they, that's what brought these stricter restrictions this year, according to KTUU. So you got a lot of things going on here uh, that are going to spell some very interesting times for folks who uh, spend a lot of their spare time fishing or filling their freezer or for those businesses that are trying to uh, show tourists uh, what Alaska is all about. And even as the state, uh, as the ADN mentions, it's going to affect certain portions of the commercial industry as well. So I just... I can't imagine that pucker factor. I just can't imagine being a business and hearing these kind of things and be going, well, there goes a chunk of our, there goes a chunk of our, uh, uh, of our, our business capital or our, our, our potential customer base for the year. Because I mean, let's face it. A lot of people come up here to fish on the Kenai or float fish down somewhere or do whatever. And now they can't do any of those things. It's going to be a, it's going to be a very, very, interesting, uh, summer. Um, the biggest, I think one of the biggest culprits and it's mentioned in the ADN article is, um, is the draggers, the trawlers. Uh, they mentioned that that is one of the reasons why they think that they're looking at these kind of, uh, why they're looking at these kind of problems with the return of the fish is that they think that the, uh, that the trawlers, uh, and trawl nets, um, uh, could be part, could be part of the problem. Having seen those things in action, I worked as a commercial fisherman, boy, it's been a long time now. It's been 30 years since I worked as a commercial fisherman. But when I saw those things come in and I saw how they operated, um, yeah, I think trawlers, especially out there by the limit, uh, you know, the international, the 12 mile limit when they're, when they're scooping stuff up out there, it's everything. I mean, it is literally everything, um, and I think something. I think something needs to be done, uh, you know, to curtail some of that activity, um, or at least regulate it in a certain way. I'm not one for huge regulations, but when you see that kind of stuff, where it just basically scrapes the bottom up and pulls everything in the world up, that is definitely not the best way to keep the keep the fishery or the habitation, the habitat and the environment. It's definitely not a good way to try and keep all that stuff, uh, you know, in livable condition, in, in livable. It's like carpet bombing an apartment complex and saying, this is a great place to live here. No, that's, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. So, uh, anyway, that's just, uh, one more, one more big push right there. Um, and this, again, has been, how long did they say this decline has been going on? Uh, 15 years of decreasing salmon populations. Something's, you know, we, something, something's got to give in that equation. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but uh, 
I'd love to see, uh, I'd love to see, uh, I'd love to see some changes on that. Um, all right. What else we got? Uh, oh, we were talking about the, um, uh, we were talking about the Willow project. Uh, uh, Mary Peltola may have won the seat on the, uh, house natural resources committee, but when it came to her begging her fellow Democrats to not, uh, throw Alaska under the bus, apparently she was not quite as influential as the seat would, uh, indicate. She hasn't been able to use that role to influence her fellow Democrats to be in favor of the one thing that most Alaskans want, which is the Willow Project. Democrats on the House committee and several influential Democratic senators like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders wrote to Biden on Friday um, and asking him to kill the permits for the master development plan for the National Petroleum Reserve Alaska. Nearly two dozen Democratic lawmakers signed the letter calling Willow ill-conceived and misguided. Because, I mean, all this work that they've been doing in it, there's millions of dollars worth of EIS and planning and everything else. That is the, I mean, ill-conceived and misguided. All that work was for nothing. Just absolutely for nothing. No version of the Willow Master Plan development is consistent with your commitments to combat the climate crisis and promote environmental justice what is environmental justice? Can anybody explain that to me? Especially as reflected in the Inflation Reduction Act, historic legislation on which we all collaborated to achieve these crucial goals. If allowed to proceed, the project would pose a significant threat to U.S. progress on climate issues. <laughs> oh, man. I just I, I just don't even know what to say at, uh, at this time. Um, I mean, talk about cutting off your nose to spite your face. All these things that are going on, um, we'll just, we'll, speaking of China, we'll just let them do whatever. I, I don't know. It's Monday, and I just can't even wrap my brain around how these people, the circular logic of most of these people when it comes to all that stuff. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of wicked group think here that I just cannot get away from. Uh, on how these people again what is environmental justice what is that i let's google it you know what i, I feel like a, a, environmental justice um uh, definition i i just i want to know i, I want to know what is a social movement that addresses the unfair exposure of poor and marginalized communities from the harms of hazardous waste, resource extraction, and other land issues, the movement has generated hundreds of studies showing that exposure to environmental harms is inequitably distributed. Probably because the resources are... You can't choose where the resources are. You can't choose to put... And in most of those... Oh, bad. My brain is going to explode this morning. Probably because you can't choose where to find the resources. The resources are in a certain area. And when you extract the resources, it creates an industrial atmosphere that is not conducive to people living there. Um, and so, yes, you're going to see them. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's that's thing right there. Uh, you're gonna, we're going to do the Willow Project up on the North Slope. The vast majority of the state wants it. 
um, and everybody's going to benefit. We've got native communities and everything else who want to be part of it and want to get things going. And But it's environmental justice. It's going to mess up the environmental justice if we allow it to happen. <clears throat> okay. All right. I mean, these people. I just cannot get away from these people. No oil, no fossil fuels. They want to they want to make you live within a 15-minute walk or a bike from everything you need. No no car or anything else. Uh, you you just no nothing but hey, your phone, your smartphone, you're allowed to have that with all the, you know, the petroleum the petroleum byproducts are in that thing and all that that's all that's all good. You can have your kayaks and your pleather and all your all your outerwear gear that from REI. That's all. All that stuff is fine. That's all fine. Oh, it'll it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this rolls out. But I, you know, at some point we've got to. Uh, yeah, environmental justice is right next to military intelligence in the book. Right, the oxymoron of environmental. Uh, it's like jumbo shrimp. Explain that to me. Jumbo shrimp or hot water heater. I mean, whoever heard of heating hot water, right? That's who ever who ever heard of that? I I haven't. All right, we gotta um, we gotta go. One more uh, one more segment, and then we'll be joined by Rob Myers. We'll be coming on board to talk to us about the fiscal future of the state of Alaska. We will continue with more in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Oh, Chris says I need to eat more salmon. It's great brain food. I'm, uh, I'll be honest with you. I am under the weather today. I'm not, um... I'm not, I'm not feeling real great. And so I apologize. I am having a hard time connecting the words and the thoughts today. So, I mean, I, I, I had to cut the news this morning for one of our other radio stations and it took me, I can't tell you how many times it took me to recut it because it was almost embarrassing. I kept palavering over the words. It's just, it's one of those things. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> oh, you will be regulated. Make no mistake about that. Your way of life will be made illegal and you'll be forced into a pod to eat the bugs. <laughs> or let the bugs eat you. One of the, what, are the, what are the two of those things? The elites can have their jets and yachts and the rest of us are just going to, you know. Yeah. Oh. It will be interesting. Um, it will be interesting to see. Uh, this is what Rick said. It'll be interesting to see what Peltola's net worth is in two years versus now. 
Well, if it is anything like the net worth that we've seen from other legislators and senators and representatives, um, she could be in just two years time. She could be a multimillionaire or even more of a multimillionaire if she's not already. I don't know what her net worth is. I haven't looked at it, but almost guaranteed that she will be a multimillionaire by the time this is all by the time this is all done. Um I'm going back here. I'm going backwards here to see what else you guys why the hell do they hate the middle class? Well, because we're straddling that line between the haves and the have-nots, and that's what they want. They want the new plebeian class where they can control it and rule it. The elites want that, right? Isn't that what the, the that social divide has always been about, even going back to Victorian times? Right? They've got the, they're, they've got the power to do all those things, and they hate to see anybody that would come up from the come up from the lowers to be one of them, to be one of themselves. Um, I would rather see the national highway funds go away than regulate my burning of wood here in Fairbanks, says Gary. Yeah, I think a lot of people feel that way, quite honestly, Gary. Sure, take the highway funds. Leave us alone. That's that's what it comes down to. Um. Uh, let's see. Uh, meanwhile, we show woke military. What? Meanwhile, we show woke military recruitment videos on social media. I haven't seen those. I'll have to go out and take a look at that. Um, they want, again, this was Kevin's comments. They want no oil, no fossil fuels. They want you to live within a 15-minute walk or bike from everything you need, no car, worship the creation instead of the creator. Yeah, I mean, I saw a lot of that in those urban planners and things when I was working on the assembly where they had this whole plan where everybody in Fairbanks would live in two buildings downtown. They'd be like, it'd be like everybody lived in Whittier, right, where they all live in the one building. That's what they wanted for downtown Fairbanks. We'll just build these big, tall buildings where everybody lives in one and everything is right there and you can walk to everything. That was the that was the plan for downtown Fairbanks. And I'd ask things like, well, what happens when it's 40 below and you got, oh, well, you know, you just wouldn't. But what happens with it? You know, you got parking lots and, you know, oh, we shouldn't. I mean, it was always so very pie in the sky. Every time I see that stuff, I just, my head explodes. Um, this is Rick's comment for the day, which I think we are all feeling right now. I just want some warm weather. Sick of this crap. Uh, more coffee. Uh, the uh, the weather this week, I just looked at it late last night before I went to bed. Um, the weather this week is looking good. Uh, the weather is, uh, in my area anyway, down here in Matsu in the Wasilla, 35, 37, 41, 35. That's the high temperatures for the next few days. So it's supposed to be nice and warm. We'll see what... Uh, <laughs> We'll see what happens with that, but it's supposed to be nice and warm. Um, they want lords and serfs, says Jeffrey Coghill. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 that's what I'm saying. I'm saying kind of the same thing, Jeffrey. I'm saying that that's what it was. They had the, they had the nobility class, and they had the peasants, and they were okay with that. And and don't you dare any of those peasants make their way up into the nobility, uh, the nobility class. 
Uh, thanks for the link, uh, Hawk. I appreciate it. I'll have to take a look at it later. I can't. Um, I can't click the link in the uh, in Streamyard here. It won't allow me to do that. All right, we're coming up on it. We got one final segment before we're joined by you know who, Mr. Rob Myers. He's going to be coming on board with us. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty Based, Free Thinking Radio. Okay. Welcome back to the program. The Michael Duke Show, uh, Monday edition of the program. We are uh, in the final segment of this hour. We're going to be joined here in just a few minutes by Senator Rob Myers, who's coming on board to talk with us about um, coming on board to talk with us about the future. I guess we'd call it fiscal realities of the state. Um, he's going to give us some economic analysis uh, and basically talk about where is the future of the PFD. And I think that that's interesting because, again, what we're seeing here in the state of Alaska over the last you know six or seven years is kind of this disdain uh, for the PFD on both sides of the equation, both the people who you would think would be wanted to be want to be protecting it for their constituency because their constituency, you know, needs it more than anybody else, and I would consider that to be like the Dems. They would be, you know, their their constituency probably the most financially vulnerable, et cetera, et cetera. In broad terms, I mean, I'm not talking about everyone. This is a, you know, this is just in broad terms. Um, and then also the Republicans who should believe in, you know, uh, who, who should believe in taking money out of government hands when possible. Uh, but instead, we've got whole cadres of people in the government uh, wearing the elephant on the lapel who uh, on their lapel who just think that they think that the uh, uh, that the uh, uh, usage of government funds to further their own deeds is um, is righteous and justified that as long as they're spent on their programs it's all okay and uh, it's gonna it, it's gonna disappear I mean that's the problem this whole thing is that they are going to disappear uh Brad shared uh, Brad Keithley shared some uh, shared some numbers with me uh, over the weekend. Um, and we were kind of going over, he had been looking at, and Brad likes to crunch numbers down in his spare time. It's his hobby, apparently. Um, and he starts looking at, you know, what happens over the next, uh, few years, uh, as you look at this and he's looking at what is the percentage of the PFD, how much are we actually going to get in the long run? And what does it actually translates, uh, does it translate to as far as, for example, the statutory PFD, you know, what the law says that we should be getting. And it's kind of interesting 
Um, Zach Fields' $1,000 PFD, which is what he's been advocating for for a while, because, of course, they know better than you how all that money should be spent. Zach Fields', uh, Zach Fields $1,000 PFD uh, comes out to about 26% of what the statutory dividend should be in fiscal year 23. If that's what we end up with, it'll be about, it'll be, remember they all talked about that 75-25. That's what we want, that 75-25. Because as soon as conservatives moved off the whole and they moved on to like, well, we'll do a 50-50 split, the the other guys said, oh, blood in the water. Okay, so we'll take 75-25. Wait, that's not how negotiations work. No, uh, that's that's how it works for us. And so that's what they're doing. 26% of your statutory PFD. So that means your your full-on PFD should be $4,000 roughly. And they're going to be like, here's $1,000. Be happy we gave you anything. Bert Stedman's, uh, Bert Stedman's um, uh, PFD at $1,300 would be about uh, 34%. And then the actual POMV 2575 draw would actually be more than Fields's draw in the long run. I mean, it's just you, yeah, these numbers. Uh, Brad's going to go over these numbers with us on Tuesday uh, tomorrow. But uh, as you look at these things, you just realize how screwed up our government really is. They have never seen a dollar that they didn't want to spend. They just have never seen a dollar that they did not want to spend. And uh, here we are. Here we are today living with it. That's, you know. The, and, and, damn the, and damn the private economy. It doesn't matter what happens to the private economy as long as the public economy survives. And gets first crack at it. And is all, I mean, as long as that happens, well, then everything else can just come and go. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll deal with that then. Um, tonight, uh, from 6 to 8 p.m., the House Ways and Means Committee is going to be hearing bills on the PFD. They're going to be taking testimony on the PFD bill on Wednesday, not tonight. Tonight they're just hearing the bills, and uh, and we'll we'll see we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, and Fields argues that the thousand dollar PFD follows the historical average, except that it doesn't include inflation. <laughs> except it doesn't. Inc- Fields is just he just they just want the money. However, they can fold it and spindle it and mutilate it and, you know, talk, talk, toss the whole topic on its head. However, they can do it to make sure that, that, I mean, as long as they can make sure that they get the lion's share of the money to spend how they see fit, that's what, that's, that's what they want. Because, as I said, they know better than you. How to spend that money. I mean, it wouldn't doesn't matter if it would, you know, help put braces on your kids' teeth or, you know, help you pay off that heating oil bill or put 
put new tires on your car, or even, my gosh, take a trip to Hawaii. None of that, none of that would matter because they have a plan for that money. They know better than you how that stuff should work, and you should just trust them. Trust them. Oh. I mean, if you want them to stop vulturing over the money, what state services would you realistically have them cut right now? Asks somebody in the chat room. Well, uh, I would cut a lot of the expansion of, uh, of Medicaid. I would also consolidate at least uh, a, 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 a chunk of the 54 school districts that we've got going on across the state. Oh, and I'd probably defund all the ghost positions that we have in the state of Alaska uh, where they are funded and yet not filled. That number, last I heard, was somewhere in the range of about 2,000 employees. So those are just a few places, Cypher, that I would probably start cutting if I was in charge. But again, I would never get elected because they don't like what I have to say. That's, I mean, I just, too many people would be like, that guy's crazy. He couldn't live within our means. What do you mean with that? What do you, I mean, that's impossible. I mean, improbable, but not impossible. I think those two things are not mutually exclusive. I mean, that is, uh. That is all part and parcel of it, for sure. That's where I would start if you were going to start cutting. We have to live within our means. That's the that's the bottom line. The rest of us do. Why government should get the free pass on this, I still don't understand, especially when these people go, well, you can't run it like it's a regular budget because, you know, we got because of the reason. We got to, you know, we got to do all this stuff. And so you can't. Mm. Yeah. Um, taking a trip to Hawaii with a PFD is living within your means. Well, it depends on what is going on in your community. First of all, that money is not government's money. It's your money, Cypher. Shouldn't you decide if you want to go to Hawaii or put it in your kid's college savings account or use it to fill your heating oil tank? Shouldn't you decide what goes on with your money? I'm just asking. Or are you happy with the way the government spends the money and makes those decisions that's the question that yeah they live within their means and your means and my means they live within everybody's means that's really the truth there that's that is 100% the truth here's the thing that money from the dividend is statutorily and you know it is it is ours it is our personal money it's our share of the mineral wealth in the state of alaska the state already got their full share on the pre-royalty side and on the you know the 75% and all that other kind of stuff and all we get is a portion is a fraction of a fraction because they take 25% of the royalties and they put it into the permanent fund and then it spins off some earnings and then we get a portion a small little portion of the earnings on a five-year rolling average. So we get a fraction of a fraction by the time the whole thing's done, and it's never enough. Never enough. That's what they tell us. Sorry, you're going to have to sacrifice a little more. Got to pull up those bootstraps a little harder. That's kind of where we're always at, though, right? 
And we're seeing the same thing on the national level as well. I mean, this is not rocket science. This is the same kind of thing we're seeing. All right. Um, we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, Free Thinking Radio. Rob Myers is our guest up next right here. Don't go anywhere. So Cypher goes on to say here uh, in the chat room, he says, this is why the concept of the PFD shouldn't exist. If it's my money, why are they managing it? Just give it to me and I'll manage it. Well, that's the thing. Up until 2016, that's exactly what happened. It went straight to you. It was a transfer. It was a shell transfer. Instead of, you know, until politicians got their greedy little hands in there, decided to change the game and rig the system and start taking it all. Before that, it was a shell transfer. He says it will just promote endless beggaring and at the end at all of our quality of life is lower. Well, I mean, I, I'm I I am all for the PFD existing in its original form and how it was intended, but this is the nature of politicians. This is the nature of politics. This is the nature of government. That, you know, it expands to consume all available resources and income. That's pretty much what happens. Oh, okay. Let's, uh, let's see if, um, I see Rob Myers is in the green room. I suppose we should be ready for that. Transfers are inherently leftist and just take money from it. No, no, I don't mean it's a tran... Are you being intentionally obtuse? It was a transfer from the permanent from the earnings reserve account. It was a simple transfer. There was no income and outflow statement. It wasn't like they had to account for it. What I mean by a simple transfer is that the is that the law says you shall transfer. It wasn't like you should account for and then put it up for appropriations and do all this stuff. It was a shell transfer. That's what I mean. Transfers are inherently leftist and just takes money from actual producers. That's you you're missing my. I'm not feeling enough. I'm not feeling 100 percent enough to argue about this right now. So let's uh, let's let me go over here to uh, Rob Myers, who's uh, sitting in the green room, uh, getting ready to uh, uh, to take over for me. He's gonna let we're gonna let him lead the conversation this morning. Hello, my friend. How are you doing? Ah, uh, not bad. The room looks less green, more pink to me, but you know that's just, just me. They could be, could be, could be. It is the pink room. That's uh, it is my favorite color, so it's all good. Um, all right. So, are you uh, you all ready to dive into this and uh, and jump in? I'm ready as I'm ever gonna be. So this has got some. You got some. You got some deep stuff here, and I'm going to apologize in advance if I don't make 
all the cogent arguments and dis- and you know connect the dots like I normally would because I'm operating at about four cylinders of twelve or three of nine or seven of nine. That's a Borg, isn't it? I mean, whatever it is, I'm I'm operating on about half of my normal uh, 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 brain cells. So uh, if I don't make all those connections that you know wow you, then that's probably why. So. Well, I mean, today's, you know, what, what I sent you and what I want to talk about today, really, by and large, is, is stuff that we've we've gone over before. I'm just trying to bring it all together to get everybody looking at the big picture, you know, so that, that you know, we're not getting lost in the weeds. You know, sometimes you got to you got to study the weeds at one point, but then you also got to back up and get the 30,000 foot view and say, all right, where are we yeah. actually going here? Exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, good. Well, let's. Uh... All right, we're good. I'm sorry, good. I was just like, where am I? I've lost. What number was I looking at? Okay, we're three minutes out. Getting ready to uh to do this here. So Rob Myers is gonna continue uh with us here. Oh, uh Cypher says, Oh, I see my mistake. The feds have a different definition of transfers, like Medicaid chips, SNAP, SSI, and other means transfer tested whether well, federal federal transfers. No, I this was just it is it was a you shall transfer, and maybe Rob, you can comment on this for a second, because up until 2016, it was just implied. And in fact, a lot of times it happened for years, it happened without the legislature even being involved. It was just a transfer from the ERA to the, you know, to the the general fund for disbursement of dividends. That's just how it happened. It was just automatic. And then it slowly, then one year the, the legislature's like, well, we should probably be involved. We'll just sign off on the transfer. And then it slowly morphed into Bill Walker saying, no, those are general fund monies now. And it's it goes into the pot and everybody fights over it. Right? I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, the royalties are coming off of state land. So it goes to the state and you know, pre-2016, it was real straightforward. Law says 25% of the royalties go to the permanent fund, 25, and then the the then you've got the statutory formula that says from what the permanent fund earns, it goes straight to us to recognize that we as individuals are the collective owners of the resource, and it's not just owned by the state. And uh, then Walker decided to, to get in the middle of that and say, no, you don't own it. I do. And so I get to decide, uh, you know, how much you're going to get out of this. And you should be grateful for whatever, you know, leftovers you guys get from. Right, exactly. And, and that was the thing. Uh, and that's when we ended up with that court case, which really is kind of the thing that that skewered us in the long run is the court case that said, uh, oh, no, they absolutely had the ability to ignore statute and ignore the law, and they could just do that, and it was their money, and yada, yada, yada. Um, but it's not. That's not the intent. That's not what Hammond intended. That's not what the framers of the permanent fund or the dividend intended. Um, and so here we are, working our way through that. Um, but we'll, 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 see what, uh, we'll see what happens in the long run. I mean, I'm not, I'm not hopeful that this is going to revert back to a pre-2016 uh, formula or uh, uh, ideation, uh, you know, anytime in the near future. But I've got my fingers crossed. Maybe, just maybe, we can have a Christmas miracle and it could all happen. All right, Rob, hold the line for us, folks. we got to jump back into it. It's hour two of the Michael Duke Show. Rob Myers is our guest. Back with more in just a moment. Don't go anywhere.
Whoa, buddy. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet, uh, 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 at com, and live around the state of Alaska. On this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator, it is The Michael Duke Show, broadcasting live, brought to you by your friends over there at SatelliteWest.com, from uh, <coughs> Naknik to Ninilchik, uh, from Manchumana to Metlakatla, from Delta to Little Diomede. It is the, the only place you can go to all those places and still remain in contact via email, text message, um, internet, uh, phone call, Satellite West, SatelliteWest.com. That's where you go and uh, get all the stuff that you need uh, to stay connected. We want to say thank you to them for sponsoring the program. To find a list of their local dealers, again, go to SatelliteWest.com and get all the information. All right, hour two of the program today. What do we got? Uh, we've got uh, we've got Rob Myers, Senator Rob Myers, joining us this morning to talk about all things, well, not all things, but some things financial and what is the fiscal future of the state uh, and everything else. And he joins us uh, at my invitation after being with us last week and providing some great stuff for us last week. So I thought we'd invite him back to talk about this and economic analysis uh, here for all the analysis, all this stuff. All right, Rob, um, obviously today is not my day to talk, so I'm going to let you start off here uh, and give us the 10,000-foot view, so to speak, on the economics of where things are going and what does this mean for things like the PFD uh, and uh, and everything else. I mean, you know, what where does this uh, – what is what does it mean? What is the uh, what what are the economic analysis about where we're going in the state of Alaska, and what does it mean for us citizens in the long run? You bet. Well, good morning, Michael. So you know, kind of following up a little bit on what we were talking about last Wednesday, talking about different visions. You know, my 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 ultimate question and the 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 big complaint I've had over the last six or eight years and a good chunk of why I ran for office is, you know, we're doing all these little things to kind of get us through the next year or two getting through this year's budget or get through next year's election cycle. And what does that mean for us, you know, going 10 or 20, 30 years down the road? What if we're going towards this new model, whether it's intentional or not, what does that do to our economy? What does that do to our state government? And we talked about a lot of this, but I just kind of want to bring all the pieces together and, and put them together so everybody can see the big picture here as to, as to what's happening. So the model that we're sliding towards effectively is a government that's going to cut the PFD, Uh oh, we just lost Rob. 
We just man down, man down. We just we just lost Rob. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, hold the line here while we try and get uh, while we try and get Rob back on the program. Uh, we just uh, we just he just Juno just dropped the call, or maybe my side dropped the call. I'm not exactly sure uh, what uh, what happened. Uh, we're gonna wait for that right there. Uh, Rob Myers is our guest. We're talking about the economic analysis of where things are supposed to be going here in just a moment. If we can't get Rob uh, to come back, we're going to uh, uh, we'll see if we can dial him up on the telephone if we can't get him to come back on our fancy schmancy streaming service here that we've got running around. We'll see if we can get Rob back uh, on that instead. Uh, meanwhile, if you'd like to drop us an email, feel free to do so. The email address is me at MichaelDukeshow.com, M-E at MichaelDukeshow.com uh, on, uh, on the internet. Uh, if you want to, uh, if you want to uh, be part of it, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, we're going to come back here and rejoin, hopefully, with Rob right now. There we go. So I've been telling everybody 50%. Well, I screwed up. I did my math wrong. So it's 80%. Okay, Rob, Rob, first things, yep. first things first, I lost you there for a minute. Uh, oh, so shoot. I apologize. Can we back up about two paragraphs and you can restart where you're going? Cause we lost, we lost your connection to you there for a second. So if you, oh, okay. if you'd go back and start us again, I'd appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. So what I was talking about is we're having, we're having no major cuts going on as we talked about i think a few weeks ago we brought that up and it's because there's a lot of people in this state that have a vested financial interest in spending more very few people have a vested financial interest in spending less so we're not going to cut we've got a difference in visions that we talked about last week which will push us towards spending more or less but visions are much smaller incentives for your average person compared to financial incentives Visions are good for the politically motivated like you or me and probably a good chunk of the listeners of the show, but the average person is really going to be more concerned about how they make a living. So <clears throat> we're moving to a spot where the permanent fund becomes the majority and fairly soon the vast majority of the income for the state of Alaska. Over the long run, what we've seen is that the permanent fund is growing about 80% faster than the current Alaska economy. Over 80, the last year, 80, so I've been telling everybody. That's eight zero, 80 percent faster than the Alaska economy. Eight zero, yes. So for every dollar that the Alaska economy grows, the permanent fund is growing by about a dollar eighty. Um, I've been telling everybody for the last year that <clears throat> that is fifty percent faster. Well, I, I screwed up. I realized a few weeks ago I screwed up and I did my math wrong. It's at about eighty percent, not fifty. So if the dividend is gone which Brad was just telling us uh, last week that is probably going to happen in about 10 or 12 years. If the dividend is gone, that means we can have a government that can grow 80% faster than the economy. Government's going to grow. And to be blunt, a lot of people are going to welcome it because it gives them another chance to get more government dough. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's part of that dependency cycle, not just on the welfare side of the equation, not, you know, what we would consider to be traditional welfare, safety net stuff, you know, food stamps or housing or whatever, Medicaid, but also on the corporate side, because it, it allows them to get those big, fat, juicy government contracts, right? Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so a lot of people make their living off of government is, is what it boils down to. And that's one one side of it that's bad. The other side of it is that 
<coughs> excuse me, <coughs> we are cutting off the biggest way that a resource-based economy can grow and diversify because we're cutting off the only way that we get resource wealth into the hands of individuals. The ways that a resource economy diversifies is called linkages. And the most important linkages are financial, either through employment or profits. Or in right. other words, if you've got an oil industry, you get that money out into the hands of individuals, either because you're employed in the oil industry or because you make the profits from the oil industry. Well, <clears throat> oil industry pays good salaries to the folks that are in it. The problem is that the way the oil industry works is a very capital intensive industry. So compared to the rest of the population, it employs a very few people. Right. So good salaries for those that are in it, but not a whole lot of people are going to be in it. Right. So then it turns into it's got to be the profits. Well, we had a way of getting the profits out into the hands of individuals through the dividend. That's what we're cutting. And effectively, what we're doing is we're cutting off our own future growth moving moving forward. And this is what Hammond talked about. That's what Hammond talked about with the linkages when he is saying it has to have a direct connection to the people for them to be engaged in what's going on in the state. Otherwise, they'll just be coddled and man be paid and it won't matter. He fought to have those linkages put in specifically for that reason. This is true. This is true. And really, it doesn't even have to be that much. You know, we're not talking about, well, you have to have some, you know, Texas oil baron that, that's, you know, made billions or something. Because uh, I was looking at one study that was looking at the difference between uh, natural gas growth, which is, you know, economically, it's just, it's about the same thing as well. It's looking at natural gas growth comparing Pennsylvania to the UK. In Pennsylvania, the ownership is mostly private. In, in the UK, the mineral rights are owned by the government, just like Alaska. <coughs> Excuse me. And the result was that every extra dollar from gas royalties in Pennsylvania created double the economic boom that it did in the UK. And this is in spite of the fact that the average gas royalty in Pennsylvania was only about $12,000 per family. The current statutory rate, that's about three to four PFDs. So it doesn't even take that much per person or that much per family to have a huge impact on your economy and to really create that base level that you need to grow your small businesses. Right. And we're cutting that off at the knees. So another big problem, we've talked about this a couple of times in the past, is economic growth is going to start to become a cost for government in, instead of a benefit. Economic growth normally means you'd have more kids in school, you need more road maintenance or road construction, you need more troopers on patrol, you know, things of, the, of this nature because the population is expanding. But usually economic activity contributes to government to pay through it, pay for it through taxes. When government gets its money from outside of the economy, coming from Wall Street instead, economic activity becomes a cost rather than a benefit. We need to spend money on all of this stuff uh, on, on, you know, kids in school rather than, oh, we're reaping money here right. from this economic activity. Right. We're taking the money that's coming from the people directly and then basically planning what's best for it. Instead, we've got all the money and now we can come up with a pie in the sky ideas for what works. Right. Exactly. And, you know, so so you go up to Fairbanks and, you know, one thing that's being talked about a fair amount is the, the trucking plan coming out of Mancho, that that uh, small mine down near Toke that then's going to get uh, the ore is going to get trucked up to Fort Knox. And one argument being used against it in Fairbanks is that it's going to cost more in road maintenance than it'll bring into the state. Now, personally, from what I've seen in the numbers, I don't think that's accurate. But to me, it's scary that we're just starting to think that way because we're going to try to stop economic development because it costs the state more than it's going to make. 
this is very backwards here. We need to, we, we want to be encouraging economic development. And instead, our financial system for the state is going to be set up to stop economic development instead of encourage it. Right. Which, again, is that what we talked about in the past is that divide between the public and the private economy when they're disconnected. That that changes the whole dynamic of government when it's disconnected from the private economy in that way as a source of revenue. Yeah, absolutely. And so then as the private economy starts to wither, the question is whether the state is going to intervene because of more political pressures to do something or if it'll intervene less because of the cost. Either way, the purely private economy will get either discouraged or crowded out one way or another. So we're going to end up with a withering private economy and a growing public economy. And I think, and, go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, oh, oh I was just saying that, that uh, just looking at resource development, you know, re- we've been a resource development state since, since, you know, territorial days and before, and we're going to continue to be that for a while. The problem is that as government starts to get its money from outside of the state, Government's going to be able to regulate businesses out of existence because they won't need the income generated from them. Right. That's bad, that's bad for everybody, but especially for resource development. And that got missed last year during the CONCON debate. The uh, the Alaska Miners Association actually came out against the CONCON because they were worried that changes to the Constitution could regulate them out of existence. I'm worried that our new financial structure is actually going to cause the state and the citizenry who don't work in resource development to stop caring and allow those regulatory initiatives and others to pass, regulate them, regulating them out of existence piecemeal instead of in one fell swoop. Well, because it disincentivizes the government from having to care about what happens in the in the private economy. They don't. They, if there's more regulation, they're okay with it. There, that's fine, because it means more power for them, more monies for the regulatory agencies, more bureaucracy, and all these other things. Because they're not dependent on that same industry to help provide and pay the bills in the state. That's coming from somewhere else. So, in fact, not only does it disincentivize that, it actually encourages higher regulatory environments and higher restrictions. Because again, and then it justifies their ability to do what they do, the personnel and the bureaucracy and everything else. It's a, it's definitely not a, I mean, it's kind of the perfect storm in the long run of all those things as well. Uh, Rob Myers, hold the line for us for just a minute. Folks, we will continue the Michael Duke show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Rob Myers is our guest. We'll continue talking about the fiscal state of the state and where do we go from here with a bigger, deeper view, deeper, bigger view, a bigger whatever. It's going to be a view of what's happening. That's all directly ahead. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty Base, Free Thinking Radio. Listened to by more staffers in Juno than any other show. Because their bosses told them to. And after what they just heard, oh man, they're gonna be pissed. You're a bad, bad man. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, Rob Myers is our guest. Sorry about that, Rob. Um, just as you got started to get wound up in your thing, um, my internet was fine, but the StreamYard, the the service that we use for the video conferencing 
it just crashed. It locked up. Uh, apparently, everybody could still hear you in the chat room, but nobody else could hear you, and it took me a while to get you back up on the line. So I apologize for that, making you repeat yourself. Um, but I, there you go. It seems to be a thing these days. I was on a video call on Thursday, and it kept cutting out on me too. So yeah. I, <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Yeah, I don't know, man. Like I said, I spent after the total poo parade that was the show on Friday, um, where the internet just kept, I mean, just repeatedly dropping out on the show. Um, luckily not on the radio side, I was able to stay connected on the radio side. So it was my streaming PC that was causing the problem. After spending about two hours trying to uh, figure it all out, I thought it was solved. And then of course, 12 seconds into the show this morning, it started dropping and, and, uh, you know, it worked fine all weekend, but now it's, it's been stable since. So maybe fingers crossed. We've who knows? I don't, I just don't even know at this point. Um, but you know, I think we can't overstate, um, in, in all your analysis of what's going on and everything else, it can't be overstated the downside to disconnecting government from the private economy. It just, it cannot be overstated how much of a problem that is and is going to be and the unintended consequences. I mean, it may sound great on paper that, oh, like, we won't have to go to the people to do this and we won't have to do this, we won't have to do that. But it's the unintended consequences that just kills what, you know, it, it, it outshines any positive on this. It outshines it by a mile. You know, and I've been doing a lot of reading the last couple of years about oil-based economies, you know, which which ours obviously is, and, and oil-based governments. And, you know, what it rolls down to, and not just oil, but kind of resources in general, is you, if you get this big cash cow that the government is able to capture, effectively that, that industry becomes the dominant factor in your economy and the rest of the economy withers. And, you know, even in... in um, <clears throat> Even in uh, in you know developed economies, like you know one one big example that's been used is the Netherlands. The Netherlands developed a, a bunch of natural gas in the '60s, and it had some nasty effects on the economy. It's bad enough that it got named after them. It's called Dutch disease, and 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 you know you, the the way you fix it ultimately is you have to keep your spending under control, and you have to get the money out of the hands of the government into the hands of individuals. So that individuals can grow and diversify and make their own decisions. And we're going the exact opposite route. And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, well, if if having an oil-dominated economy means everything flounders except for oil, what happens when your government revenue isn't even coming from oil? It's coming from the stock market. Well, then everything except the stock market's gonna flounder. And <clears throat> It, you know, you, you have to sit back and look at this stuff and stop saying, oh, well, we just need to fix it for this year. Oh, I've got re-election this year, so I I can't do anything crazy. No, we got to stand back and actually examine where this is taking us. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. It would require some self-analysis, which is definitely not the strong suit, I would think, of uh, those who've been in power uh, in the state for many years. It's Again, it's always the crisis of the next election. That's what we're slaves to is there is no long term thinking. It is how do we get it beyond this two year cycle? And if I do it this year, do I still have two or three years to wait for the people to forget about it so they can reelect me again? I'll do something on the first year and then coast for the last three years so that they still think I'm a good guy and then they'll reelect me and I can do something else here in another year. I mean, this is it's it's crazy. 
It is, you know, it's the, it's the nature of government and it's, you know, we forget, I think sometimes that, that your average government, uh, you know, average elected official has different incentives than your average business owner. Your average business owner is forced to think five, 10, 20 years down the road. Your average elected official is forced to think two to four years down the road. Uh, you know, there's a few around here that, that I've talked to that, that can, that can, you know, buck that trend, but you know, I'm not going to, I'm not blaming anybody. It's just the nature of the business. It's, it encourages you to think a certain way. Here we go. The Michael Duke show, common sense radio. The Michael Duke show, not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy. Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Yep, the sh- the show, the show. Welcome back to the program. It is the Michael Duke Show, broadcasting live across the state of Alaska. This your favorite radio station and/or FM translator. We are continuing now with Rob Myers, who is our guest, giving us a deeper fiscal look at where things are going, and just pointing out some things that are. I mean, I'm still stuck on the whole. I'm still stuck on the whole fact that the permanent fund grew 80% faster than the Alaska economy. And now they're talking about utilizing the permanent fund as the sole source of income for government. Just think about that. Your government growing at, you know, 50 to 80% faster than the private economy. What does that look like in 10 years? I mean, what does that look like if you let the government grow to that point and beyond? It's absolutely crazy. Um, you, When we left off, Rob, you were talking about government being able to regulate business out of existence because, well, they don't need the businesses to generate income anymore for them because they're getting it for they're they're getting it from the permanent fund. They don't need to worry about that. And I talked about how that actually increases the promulgation of regulation because that justifies the existence of the bureaucracies that are that are that are uh, uh, you know given that responsibility. And you're talking about this is especially bad for different industries and things like that, like resource development. Right. You know. Uh, you know. When when we talk to the resource development guys down here in Juneau. One thing that they bring up is that every couple of years they have to fight a ballot initiative of some kind that's targeting oil or targeting mining or something of this nature, and they fight them. They fight them down pretty much every time, uh, but it costs them a lot of time and money to do that. And you know, obviously, they're not they're not fans of that. But the reason that we vote them down, I think, is because most people in this state realize that you know that's where their bread and butter comes from is is, you know, we get the money from the oil, we get the employment from mining, you know, things like this. We recognize that this is, this is what we do. But if we get to a place where the, where the, the government doesn't have to get the money from the oil, or you don't have to be employed in one of these sectors because you can get a government job or a government contract job, then all of a sudden people don't care about that sort of stuff anymore. And, you know, one or two of those initiatives are gonna start to pass. And that's not counting, you know, what could happen just here in the halls of Juno as well, because the state will no longer have to bear the cost directly of a shrinking private economy because we get our money from elsewhere. Right. And so instead of a one fell swoop, it then becomes the piecemeal chip, chip, chip at every industry that we're talking about. They could potentially it dismantles the potential fund 
of revenue for the state government in the long run, uh, leaving us basically dependent on the one. It's a self it's a self-reinforcing feedback loop, right? Uh, they take more money and it, 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 it eliminates other competitors or other ways to get money. And so we're more and more dependent on that uh, on that uh, uh, permanent fund issue, the permanent fund solution in the long run. Right. And let's let's keep in mind that that permanent fund solution is not exactly a great solution when you're talking about a source of revenue anyway. It's still a volatile source. The, the five year average of the POMV is better than oil. It would have been nice to have a five year average of oil, but the stock market still has some volatile swings. Anybody watching the, the value of the permanent fund over the last year can see that from 83 billion uh, as of about a year and a half ago down to about 70 billion at its low point. Now, I think we're about to 77 and a half as of Friday. I haven't seen it yet this morning. Um, and so we're still gonna be vulnerable to stock market downturns, which will cause a shortage of revenue for the operating budget. So we're, we're gonna depend on this, this big source of money coming in and we're still gonna run out of money because we go back and we go back to spending it all. So we're going back, we're going down the path of spending the entire dividend. There's gonna be no shock absorber left. And then we'll get taxes, either on top of an already declining oil industry or a broad-based tax, or maybe both, or maybe there'll be a push to start, you know, to, to violate the POMV. Because remember, that, that's only in statute. The, right. there's, there's no constitutional backing to that. Right. So we could violate that too. Right, because they're going to look at it and go, well, uh, you know, we, we need to take the PFD for this, for that. And after three or four years of that, it's no longer a $1,000 PFD. Now we're talking about into the hundreds or maybe nothing. And there's nothing to indicate that they that, that would quell their appetite for spending. I can already see the argument. I've already seen some of the people – Zach Fields and others have made this argument, and they, they keep saying, well, other states tax. We don't. Other states do this. We get a free ride. I've seen that. Oh, we just, we're not paying our own way. We need to. So what will happen is they'll consume all of the money, all of the PFD, and then they'll come back to us and say, well, Alaskans, you're just not paying your fair. You're just not paying your way. You need to, We need to have a tax. And so there will be even more money taken out of the economy at that point, again, with no ramifications because it is not connected to the economy in any way. Right. You know, and, and Brad was just giving us the, the analysis last week that we're looking at the PFD being gone in approximately a dozen years. And that's before any of the new spending that we're already talking about this year on a higher BSA, defined benefits, <coughs> excuse me, or, or anything else that, that people are talking about. So it, one big message I want to get out to everybody is <clears throat> if your goal is to give up the PFD in order to avoid taxes, you will still get taxes. It's just a question of when. Well, and, and that's that's saying that the PFD cut is not a tax, right? If you're if you're exactly. give, if you're giving the PFD cut ups to avoid taxes, you're being taxed already. It's it's a tax already. I mean, that's the that's the thing that nobody really wants to acknowledge. Right, right. Best case scenario, you are delaying inevitable because we're not fixing the underlying problem. And you know, one thing that we've talked about as a possible fix to it is a spending cap. And I'm all in favor of a spending cap. I introduced one. But a spending cap is not going to work by itself because it doesn't create an incentive to spend less. We're likely going to find ways either to get around it or ultimately there could be a push to repeal it. We're not going to change things until we have a reason for the vast majority of Alaskans to call their legislators and ask for a budget cut 
instead of calling the legislators and asking for budget increase. Right. The vast majority of people that come in through my office are asking for a budget increase. A significant portion of the emails that I get, even though I live in a very conservative district, a significant portion of the emails I get are asking for a budget increase of one shape or another. And what, you know, I, I don't get the emails that say, cut the budget. I don't get those emails. I don't get those phone calls. I don't get those people coming through my office because your average Alaskan doesn't have an incentive. Your average Alaskan has an incentive to ask for more money because that is how they get that piece of the oil revenue or the permanent fund earnings or what have you through, through government spending in some way, shape or form. And until we have a financial incentive for your average Alaskan to want less government spending instead of more government spending, the situation is not going to change. Well, and, and look, I can I can guarantee you if you tell the chat room um, that there is no political will to cut, uh, people you know start to lose their minds because we wanted to cut. We've want we've wanted this for a long time. We've wanted all the, but you, what you're saying is that even from your one of the most conservative districts in the state, you're still getting a continuous call for more spending. That's part of the problem. I mean, that's the thing. Have we just not been doing a good enough job as the pro-cut side of the equation, getting the word out? Have we just not done a good enough job of getting legislators' attention to do these things? Is that part of the issue here? It's it's not a question of, of getting the word out. It's a question of what do people have an incentive to do? If, when a significant portion of this state is making their living off of government spending, they have a significant reason to call us and say spend more when the when the majority of the state doesn't pay for government directly they don't have an incentive to call us and say spend less really the only ones that call us and say spend less are the oil industry and to some extent the mining industry and one or two others that actually give us you know actual honest to goodness taxes uh, because they realize that that's their tax bill you know the oil industry has been telling us for decades that they want a stable fiscal structure. And that's part of the reason that they've gone to Texas and New Mexico and North Dakota and stuff is because they have stable fiscal structures down there. And they know that when the state decides to spend more, that they're not the ones that are going to be directly in the crosshairs because there's so many other people down there that are going to call their legislators and say, knock it off. Whereas up here, they don't have that. They don't have that kind of backing. And uh, so they are kind of sitting here going, well, what's the what's the legislature going to do this year? What are they going to do next year? While the average Alaskan calls and says spend more. Right. So, I mean, I guess we'll we'll get into this in the final segment as to what the solutions are to this. But I can already see one solution on this is that we need to double down and be more vocal about what where we're going and what we need to be doing and letting people know. Uh, but also, your point is is that we need that connectivity between uh, the linkage between the private economy and the public economy so that we could see what it's costing us. So if somebody calls up and says, I want more money for my who's what's it, they know that that money is then coming out of their pocket as well as everybody else's instead of out of this amorphous, disconnected pot of money somewhere down the, down the road, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, there's a... There's a guy um, over at UAA named Alexander James, who's an economist over there. And he did an interesting paper uh, a few years ago. He said, you know, what, what happens uh, in, in terms of corruption um, if you've got money coming out of oil or money coming off of a tax? And he says, the funny thing is you start looking at it, people are less bothered by corruption 
when you have money coming out of oil compared to money coming out of a tax. Because if your corruption comes out of a tax, then it's, hey, you just stole my money. If it's corruption that, that's coming uh, off of oil, it's, well, well, it was a windfall. It, you know, it, I really wasn't going to get any anyway, so I'm, I'm really not that worried about it. Right. And, you know, and, and you know, and, and, you know, it's not like Alaska's had corruption issues in the past. You know, I mean, we're, we're squeaky clean around here. Right. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. Uh, you know, if it's not my money, I don't really care if you've stolen it or not. If it is my money, I'm outraged kind of thing. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, absolutely. We so, don't have enough people that are outraged because of, of where the money is coming from. Right. And, and a spending cap, as you just mentioned, is great, except for most of the suggestions for spending caps are statutory in nature, which means... <laughs> There's again the leg. What's a statute? The legislature just doesn't care. What's a statute? I mean, is that something that we just speed bump over? Uh, and they uh, and the other types of spending caps, the more the constitutional spending caps, they're not getting really any traction at all. Because again, why would the lunatics want to give the keys to the asylum back? Right? I mean, they're in charge. They're large and in charge. Why would they want to give those away? Or even if we did pass one. You know, the, the legislature has shown an immense talent in the last 40 odd years uh, in for getting around fiscal constraints in the Constitution. You know, whether you want to talk about the reverse sweep or or uh, a couple of other things, um, you know, we, we've got this amazing talent around here for finding loopholes in the Constitution and exploiting them. And I, I think we would find all the loopholes in a spending cap as well. We would find all of the uh, loopholes um, in, in, you know, just the same way we found all the loopholes in, in uh, lots of other provisions in the Constitution. And ultimately, if the incentive is still, I make my money off of government and the spending cap is getting in my way, you get enough of your neighbors together that also make their money off of government. And eventually there's going to be a push to repeal it. Right. Right. Uh, we're talking with Rob Myers, our guest. Uh, we're actually up against the uh, next break. So we're going to uh, continue with him here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. Final thoughts here and potential solutions to this economic problem. Senator Rob Myers is our guest. The Michael Duke Show continues. You're home for common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Uh, so, Rob, uh, you you answered it partially. Uh, I think it was Cypher earlier who said... Uh, you know, what is the, can you, what's your thoughts on the Dutch disease? And I was like, the Dutch disease? And that was your commentary on the Netherlands, right? And their dependency on oil and gas and what they were doing there. That was, that's part of the problem there. Uh, let me actually unmute you there, Mop. There you go. Oh, there we go. Yeah, the, the, the Dutch found out that if you have a, a, uh, 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 an oil or, or gas uh, development show up that kind of dwarfs the size of the rest of the economy, uh, the issue becomes that it draws in all of the investment dollars. It draws over all of the employment. 
and kind of the rest of your economy starts to wither and the government kind of, you know, taking back the, the, the looking at the overall view says, oh, we're making so much money on this oil that they're not really notice that the rest of the economy is, is kind of slowly dying over here. And uh, <clears throat> so they don't really they don't really do anything about it. And then, all you know, and then well, it's the nature of oil and gas fields. They they slowly dwindle down and then it kind of just reveals what's been happening for the last 20, 30 years underneath. And then you go, oh, no, how did we get in this situation? Well, we got in this situation because you had one big natural resource kind of overwhelm everything. And what I'm worried about is we're going to be in a place where this one big stock market is going to overwhelm everything from the state's perspective. And it's just going to make everything else dwindle. Cypher goes on to say, and actually I started this uh, comment because I think some of us in the chat room are feeling this this morning. So what are you implying? We should just all move out to the lower 48 eventually because the government's going to destroy the private sector. <laughs> I mean, I think I mean, I think that's the danger is that the government is going to destroy the private sector, but is your argument that we should just all pull the plug now, pull the ripcord and get out while the getting's good? I mean, that if we don't arrest this situation, then that's probably what's going to happen is the majority of us are going to leave because you're going to have federal jobs, you're going to have state jobs, you're going to have some local government jobs, you're going to have a service sector, you know, that that serves all those people because, you know, hey, you got a government job and a state job, you still want to go out to, you still want to go out to eat, you still need somebody to fix your car, you know, things like this. Um, so you're going to have a, a, a small service sector that serves the those other, you know, the guys in those government jobs. But really, by and large, that's going to be what we have left for a private economy here. So my goal is not to say this is what is has to happen. My goal is to say, here's the direction that we're currently going. We need to change direction and we need to be able to accept um, some drastic changes. You know, we can't we're, we're way past the point where just kind of nipping and tucking around the edge is going to fix anything here. And we have to be able to accept some some very, very different uh, premises of how a government operates compared to what we have have done up to this point in time. Uh, I think that's it right there. We we will be left with a government, basically a government economy. Everything else will just be secondary to that. And, uh, there won't be much left if we don't, if we don't do it. And as you said, everybody's going to have to, there's going to have to be some sacrifice here. We saw what the governor tried to do in 2018 when he put his budget out and, you know, everybody lost their ever loving mind because, my God, you mean I would have to cut? You mean my special who's he, what's it, my special project, my special pet pet thing would would lose money? We couldn't possibly do that. But in the long term fiscal, so I mean, the long term fiscal solution is everybody's going to have to lose a little bit to be able to make that happen. Right. And, you know, what, what the governor tried to do in 2019 was was good and it was eye opening for me. And I think for a lot of other people, because it kind of opens, it, it, it makes us all realize how entrenched so many of these interests are in getting their government paycheck. Because if you start to cut and you start to do the right thing to right the ship, you haven't yet changed the incentive towards more spending. We still have to change that underlying incentive to get it so that there's an incentive towards less spending. And until that happens, anything, anybody that tries what the governor tried in 2019 is going to run into the same issue and you're going to have a veto override or, or something else along those lines. And it's, it's going to be, you know, it, it, it's going to be tilting at windmills until you change that underlying incentive. 
That's true. <clears throat> because instead, I, as we said before, I mean, you're treating the symptoms instead of the disease. You're just, you know, you're putting a cold compress on it and giving you two aspirin and saying, walk off that fractured bone because, uh, you know, that that's where we're at. If it's if we you know, we have to find a way to disincentivize that. And I'm not sure exactly what the solution is to that. I'm sure you probably have some solutions from your from your position there, seeing what it's like behind the scenes and all the sausage making. And we'll give you a chance to uh, we'll give you a chance to lay that out for us here in the final segment. Rob uh, Myers is our guest. If you're watching us on YouTube, I hope you have hit the subscribe button and then it turns into a bell and you ring the bell to get all the notifications. If you haven't done that, if you haven't gone out to our YouTube page yet, would you please? I I need a thousand subscribers. I'm not even to 500 yet, but I need a thousand subscribers to make it happen. So if you could be part of it, that'd be great. All right, here we go. Jumping back into it. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's do it. All right. Welcome back. Rob Myers is our guest. Um, Final segment of the show this morning. Uh, we were talking during the break about, you know, we have to find a way to disincentivize the spending, to to take that away, to make it not palatable to be going after every dollar available. Rob, you've got some goals that you've laid out, and I'm hoping that you'll give us a way that we can make that happen. Uh, but you've also got some goals laid out and the things that can be done to maybe attempt to fix this situation. So I'll give the floor over to you and you can hit us with a few of these things here on the way out the door. Yeah, you bet. So uh, the ultimate goals that that we have to have to order to fix this situation, it looks a heck of a lot like the fiscal policy working group from a year and a half ago. Okay. So in no particular order, these are the things that have to happen. Protect the PFD to one, get the money out of the hands of government and two, provide the foundation for growing that private economy. Next up, we have to put in a spending cap to keep the state from expanding just because it has more money, okay? If, if you're gonna expand, you have to have a good reason to do so. So if your economy is expanding and your government needs to expand to provide the services to a growing population, I can understand that. And that is one of the, one of the reasons that we craft the spending cap to tie it to the economy, okay? You have to give the state an economic incentive to care about the private economy. And a spending cap is part of that. You also have to give the people a financial incentive to care about lower state spending because we already have too many financial incentives for the people to care about more state spending. Right. So what does, you know, I, I want people to really start thinking about what does a financial incentive to the average Alaskan to care about less state spending look like? What does a financial incentive to the state to care about a healthy private sector look like? Right. Okay. Well, And you mentioned the spending cap. And, and you just think if we had had a viable spending cap in place uh, throughout the early 20-teens, what would it have looked like? I mean, first of all, we wouldn't have expended 
15 billion dollars out of our out of the out of our savings account out of the cbr we wouldn't have drained that account down if we looked at it we would have money for today if we had had a spending cap in place it would not you know the size of government would not have grown to the point that it is today <clears throat> and it may have been impossible for things like the expanded medicaid to be put in place because we did not have we couldn't expend the monies to fund that kind of stuff so if we had had i mean that in and of itself would have been a big milestone to have an actual spending cap so i mean this is it's all part and parcel you can't just do one but you're right we have to find a way to disincentivize government's need or desire for spending and to reincentivize people to be engaged in it and right now they're not Right. You know, if we'd had a viable spending cap during that boom from 06 to 14, roughly, uh, we wouldn't have spent 15 billion out of savings. We actually would have saved 15 billion dollars. We have had 15 billion dollars more in savings. Right. And, you know, if, if we'd had that in place. So, you know, ultimately, once we can have the state realizing that it can't just spend money because it has it and actually has to care about the economy. And once we have people wanting the state to spend less and they can't just make a living off the state, all of a sudden the non-oil, non-government economy starts to become a whole lot more important. Then at that point, we'll be able to make some progress on doing things like removing regulation, like professional licensing, um, making educational investments that actually improve outcomes instead of just congratulating ourselves on how much we care about education because of our focus on inputs and making infrastructure investments that'll actually help the economy grow instead of just providing construction jobs for a summer or two. Right. I mean, actual make an actual difference in those things uh, and have the accountability on, you know, our second largest budget item, which is education, actually have some accountability instead of just endlessly throwing more money at it and saying, look at what a good job we did. Look at all that money we threw at it. I mean, even though we're still 49th in the, you know, in the education, that doesn't, we did a great job, didn't we? I mean, that's that's what we're looking at right now. Right. Because when you when you have a government that's focused on how much money is coming in, it's going to focus on how much money it is spending on education. When you have a government that's actually focused on making sure the economy works, then you're going to have a government that's actually focused on making sure that kids are actually getting educated. And right. Care about outcomes. Right. And actually, you know, can can actually work in the workforce when it's all said and done uh, uh, when the when the thing ends. So what's right. what's the end result here, uh, Robert? What you know? What what are where are we at? So the end result, if you can get if we can get all of this to happen, the end result is going to be a growing private economy and stable or shrinking government, and the and the government it necessarily won't even necessarily be shrinking in terms of of absolute dollar value because if the economy is growing, the government can stay the same absolute size, but it's going to be shrinking as a percentage, which is the goal, at least in my opinion. So once a private economy becomes more important, it's likely going to lead to a more conservative politics as well, because then you got to have more people that are going to care more about the private economy instead of caring about getting their their slice of that government dough or that oil dough or that right. or that stock market dough or however you want to phrase that. And this is how we crack the chicken and egg problem that we've had in this state for decades of having a liberal government that creates a liberal economy and vice versa. Well, and I, I think, you know, I have talked about that in the past that, I mean, Alaska is considered by many to be a red state. And we're shocked when all these blue politics come out of it. But it's because historically we're not really a blue. I mean, we've been a we've really been a Democratic state from the very beginning. I mean, we may have changed the skin, but underneath you prick us and it still bleeds blue. Right. 
Right. You know, we're, we're, we're pretty conservative socially in this state. But if you if you're going to have a, a state where the government is a significant portion of the economy, the government props up a significant portion of the economy. Well, then, you know, <laughs> that's that's going to lead towards uh, more 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 blue politics than than red politics. And it doesn't matter, you know, who, what the the letter at the end of the guys in charge are, if their job is to keep the government economy going, because that's what the economy is, then that's going to, that's blue politics, not red politics. So Rob, we're down to the last, uh, four minutes here or so of the broadcast for today. So now that you've beaten us down mercilessly with all these hard truths, my God, I was already Monday. And then we brought Rob on to give us all the good news, the good news, as one of the previous callers or one of the previous folks in the chat room said, what are you saying? Should we just all move out to the lower 48 because government's going to destroy the private sector? Well, if we don't do something, something's got to happen. So what are your solutions, Rob? What, what, what in the end, what, what do we need to do? I mean, how do we, how do we change this dependency cycle? How do we incentivize government to spend less? How do we incentivize the public to want less government spending. What's the solution? Well, I mean, you know, as, as the saying goes, you know, the first step is admitting you have a problem, right? You know, <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> we have a problem. Okay, I'll admit it. We have a problem. Now you just got to get everybody else to agree with me. Right, exactly. You know, and, and ultimately, you know, it has to be, we have to give your average Alaskan a financial incentive to want less state spending. And, you know, it has to cut into their wallets. If it doesn't cut into your average Alaskan's wallet, they don't have a reason to call Juno and say, knock it off. You know, we have to find a way that most Alaskans have their wallets getting cut into in a meaningful way, because as Brad is, has brought up multiple times, you cut the PFD, that cuts into people's wallets, but it cuts into the wallets of the people who are the least politically active and the people that are scraping to get by and have the least amount of time available in their lives to try to get involved in politics and, and you know, call their legislators, show up at testimony, things like that. We have to have a way that, that all Alaskans across the board have a, a financial incentive to tell government to knock it off. Otherwise, all we're doing really, and I, I brought this up a couple of times, is, is with, with cutting the PFD, what we have done is we have pitted the people with lobbyists against the people without lobbyists. And you can tell me where that's going to end. You know, we, we have to have the majority of the, the vast majority of, of citizens across the income spectrum have a cut in their wallet that it, that is, is going to make them pay attention and say, y'all need to knock it off down there in Juneau. Right. Well, I'll be honest with you, Rob. I thought when they first cut the PFD, I thought the people were going to stand up. I really did. I thought the people were going to be outraged. I mean, look, they've touched the third rail of politics, which is what the PFD had been up until that point, and they're going to be it's going to be bad. I mean, I watched the entire crowd at the Iron Dog start that year boo the governor of the state of Alaska as he stood up on the stage. I thought, "Well, this is it. This I mean, they're going to they're going to be, you know, and no, nothing happened. It was just kind of crickets. Nothing really went on." I wouldn't quite say nothing because I think what has happened is cutting the PFD was enough to throw us into chaos. It wasn't enough to push us in a different direction yet, but it was at least enough to put a break on 
the direction that we were going. So it's at least slowed us down. It's put us into chaos. But until we've got enough of a push behind us to go a different direction, we're, we're still going to go the same direction. And, you know, the, the, the rest of the folks that are actually behind this, that actually wanted to go this direction, can just sit here and try to wait us out. So what is um, the, so what is the solute? we got a minute here. So what is the solution to get? How do you get them engaged? Is it a tax? Is it something else? I mean, how do you get them fiscally motivated to be part of it? Well, you know, I've been I've been talking to people about about a tax. Is that a, is that a way to go? Because that is cutting into your average into into everybody's pocketbook that says now you're going to have to care about what government's doing because they're going to spend your money directly, whether you're making ten thousand dollars a year or a hundred thousand dollars a year or a million dollars a year. And I would love to find somebody to have somebody give me a way to do it otherwise. But I really think that that we're heading that direction if we don't have a broad based tax that everybody uh, gives everybody a reason to care about. I don't think we're going to cut the budget in the long run. I don't think we're going to arrest this this slide towards a, a growing government economy and a shrinking private economy. Rob Myers, our guest, The Michael Duke Show. Folks, we're out of time. We will see you tomorrow. Brad Keithley, Chris Story. <clears throat> well, now you did it. Now you did it. You told everybody that might be the only solution. I mean... I can't see any other way to get people involved at this point. I don't want it. I don't want anything like it. But as you say, if you're seeing the most of the content that's coming to you from your constituency, which is a which is a conservative constituency, is asking for more money, how uh, how else does this even work? I have never once called my legislator and said, I want you to spend more government money on one thing. I've told them a lot that I don't want them to spend as much government money. I can't even imagine the mindset of people coming in and say, you got to fund this project. I, I just, I, I don't know, uh, Rob. I'm, I'm at that point where I just don't understand how are we going to fix this. Right. You're, you're right. And, you know, I, I've noticed an interesting pattern going around talking to my colleagues, especially the freshmen this year. And, and I, I've noticed an interesting pattern between the guys that have served in local uh local government first before coming to the state and the folks that jumped just to sta straight to state government which, which frankly is what i did because the guys that served in local government they kind of get this intuitively because every year they have guys showing up down at the city council or the borough assembly or what have you that says cut my property taxes i don't want to pay more property taxes stop your spending because i don't want to pay for it out of my property taxes or i don't want to pay for it out of a sales tax which is which is some locations of the state too. Um, you don't have that countervailing opinion here in here in Juneau because you don't have people saying, stop spending my money. So until you get that, um, I, I don't see how else we get out of this, you know, kind of death spiral that we're in. That's depressing. Okay. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm with no you. Myers Mondays, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, Myers Monday. No more Myers Monday. It's it's morbid. <laughs> it's morbid Myers Monday now. Um, I I I agree with you, Rob. That it's the only thing that I can see on the table that would affect people directly, and I don't want it to be punitive, but I want it to make a difference, right? I want it to actually move that needle, and that's what we're having a problem right. with. I know you're busy. You got stuff going on. I hear your phone ringing. Uh, Rob Myers. Any final thoughts before we let you go? Well, I guess the final thought is 
we there is a way out of this there there is a way out of this there's a way out that that supports what we as conservatives want which is a smaller government and a stronger private sector but what i'm concerned about is that we came up with these ideas 40 50 years ago that says this is what a conservative means and those policies were created in a certain period of time and a certain set of circumstances and times have changed and circumstances have changed and we've held on to those policies and said this is what it means to be a conservative and now those policies are are leading us down our uh, our a different road we need our principles to stay the same but we have to be willing to accept different policies to get us there because we're in a different situation now and we have to be able to think outside the box and accept that certain things that we do uh that we have been doing for a long time aren't going to work anymore and it's it's time time to change how we're thinking and what we're doing we got to adapt we got to overcome we got to improvise that's what we got to do rob myers thank you my friend it's good to talk with you appreciate you coming on board you bet good to see you michael you we'll too you sir thank you so much folks we are out of time we got more coming up Tomorrow on the big radio broadcast, we're going to be uh, joined by Brad Keithley, Chris Story. Uh, Till then, be kind, love one another, live well. The Michael Duke Show. shed our terrestrial radio skin and now we are slimy lizard internet people it's the michael duke show